Hello, everyone. This is Vartok with another Music in Sci-Fi guest podcast, number 846, for January 2nd, 2022. First, let me say Happy New Year's to all of Rico's Roughnecks. Rico's Roughnecks! <laughs> Sorry about that. I just finished rereading Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers on my Kindle, courtesy of the local library. For today's podcast, I'm going to talk about Canadian film and television composer Clinton Shorter, with emphasis on his music to The Expanse, a six-season sci-fi series known for its outstanding production value, not to mention its adherence to the laws of physics in space. I am guessing that many of you listening now recognize the Season 1, Episode 1 opening cue to The Expanse. The Expanse, by the way, has won both a Hugo Award and a Saturn Award for its excellence in dramatic presentations. Today's podcast will be shorter than my usual composer podcast for the simple reason that Clinton Shorter, who also goes by Clint, is only 50 years old and does not yet have an extensive repertoire like the composers I have covered in the past. In addition, he seems to have maintained a low-key presence in the media, so I could not find as much background information about him as I have been able to for other composers. As in the past, I've relied heavily on Wikipedia, the IMDb, music websites, and various interviews to provide information about today's composer. Clinton was born on March 18, 1971, in North Vancouver, in British Columbia, Canada. When asked in a sci-fi bulletin interview about his early musical memories and what instruments he played, Clint related, My dad was a machinist, but what I remember most about him were his interests outside of that world. He was a man that had a dark room, a workshop where he built a sailboat. He restored cars. He made intricate wood carvings, built a cabin. He didn't stop, and if you wanted to spend time with him, you'd have to pull up a chair and watch. There was one common thread in all these interests. Music was playing during all of them. I didn't get much exposure to concert music, but I got a heavy dose of Pink Floyd, Steely Dan, Alan Parsons Project, and Joni Mitchell. I remember he got Pink Floyd The Wall for Christmas, and he played it all day. I played trombone for a couple of years, but it wasn't until I played guitar at 14 that my interest in music really took off. When he was a senior in high school, Clint notes, We had a recording studio on the school grounds. My friends and I would spend countless hours in there doing just that sort of improv and experimentation. It was a special time. Clint initially studied jazz in college before switching to music composition. Later, during a Sci-Fi Pulse interview, when asked which composer inspired him the most, he responded, When I started out, I think I knew every single Thomas Newman score inside out. He really spoke to me more than any other composer. When asked how he became ready to score for film, Shorter noted in a Musique Fantastique interview, After years of writing for my instrumental rock trio, I went back to school to brush up on my tech and studio skills. I then landed a job assisting a prolific Canadian film and TV composer for five years. I learned a lot from that experience. After a couple of years of shadowing him, he had series that wouldn't put temp music in the cuts, so he would have me watch the episode and draft up a cue sheet 
based upon where I thought music should be. That's a huge aspect of the craft, knowing when and where to have music, and what mood and how to get in and out gracefully. The cool part was that I was able to hear exactly what he would do in those scenes. It was immensely educational. After that, I scored a dozen TV movies and a half dozen features, which really prepared me. In the earliest part of his career, Clint started out providing additional music as composer for the TV series The Adventures of Shirley Holmes in 1996. However, he mostly helped others with roles such as music editor, music recording engineer, and as an assistant composer on a number of TV series with names like So Weird and Beggars and Choosers. When asked in a Sci-Fi Pulse interview how he got into film and television composing, Clint responded, I had an experimental rock trio but could never quite wrap my head around writing in song form. One day, when I heard Mark Isham's score to Never Cry Wolf, I immediately connected with it and decided to make the shift over to film and television scoring. By the year 2000, he was working on TV series such as Mysterious Ways and The Fearing Mind, in addition to a few films, again mostly in a secondary role. He continued to build his career and reputation supporting series like The Chris Isaac Show, The Dead Zone, and Peacemakers. Between 2001 and 2008, he was elevated to becoming the named composer for a host of made-for-TV movies and short films. Shorter created the score for an indie film, Come Together, in 2001. He went on to create music for several more films, including Neil Blomkamp's short film, Alive in Joburg, in 2005. Skipping ahead, Shorter is now the named composer for TV and streaming series you may be familiar with, like Intelligence, House of Lies, Code Black, The Expanse, Colony, Quantico, and Tribes of Europa. In all, according to one source, Clint has provided music for over 300 episodes for TV series and streaming productions. So let's back up and listen to a few soundtrack of Clint's earlier work before jumping into his music for The Expanse. In 2007, he provided the music to the film Normal, a Canadian drama film about a group of unrelated people who are brought together in the wake of a deadly car accident. The film was directed by Carl Basai and stars Carrie Ann Moss, among others, who Treks and Sci-Fi members will recognize as the co-star of the most recent Matrix franchise film, The Matrix Resurrections. Here is the title track, Normal, to give you a sense of some of Clint's early film music with a mixture of synth, bells, and voice. Already, it is apparent that Clint likes to use long, drawn-out notes as a key part of his sound palette.
In his breakout effort, Clint was asked to create a score for Neil Blomkamp's 2009 science fiction film, District 9. District 9 was 2009's sleeper hit film, and an obvious stinging commentary about South Africa's era of apartheid. The independent production, backed by Peter Jackson, and eventually picked up for distribution by TriStar Pictures, cost only $30 million to make, yet pulled in $200 plus million after an amazing word-of-mouth campaign and positive reviews from critics. A mostly harmless alien race of about a million insect biped hybrids lands their crippled mothership over Johannesburg, South Africa in 1982. They are forced into a segregated slum modeled after the real-life District 6 of South Africa's recent past. District 9 is operated by a corrupt corporation intent on stealing alien technology. The district eventually becomes a hotbed of criminal activity and hatred. Only through the collaboration of one of the company's employees and one of the aliens can the mothership be repaired and begin to alleviate the distrust between the species. From the Film Tracks Music website, we learn that for the Canadian composer in his 30s, District 9 was a remarkably sudden and possibly overwhelming career turn for him. Blomkamp and Shorter had actually worked on a short film about roughly the same topic four years earlier in Alive in Joburg. However, the director and composer decided to toss aside the tone of that score and start fresh with the feature-length District 9 successor. Per film tracks, Shorter, within the first three weeks of coordinating the sound of the score, was faced with the difficulty of blending the generally upbeat tone of native African music with the sinister and tragic atmosphere of this story. The director clearly indicated to Shorter that he wanted a score of menacingly deep tones for District 9, encouraging the composer to explore increasingly lower registers with its instrumentation. Fortunately, Shorter had another two months to develop his material into the ultimately bass-heavy, sometimes melodramatically tragic music that earned him so much notice, changing his career overnight. To create an appropriate hybrid score, Shorter had to merge the synthetic representations of technology with native African instrumentation. This mainly limited the African elements to mournful solo male voice and a portion of the smaller percussion instruments. Applied atop these items were taiko drums and a variety of synthetic percussive effects of a highly metallic nature, in addition to a plethora of slapping and clanging sounds. The resulting music has been described by reviewers as rhythmic and magnificent, as mournful ethnic action strains, and as having pseudo-exotic ambiance as a post-mortem theme of loss. Well, let's see what you think. Here is track number 11, titled Pronkus, from District 9.
owing in large part to his score for District 9, Clint Chorter was nominated for Breakout Composer of the Year in 2009 by the International Film Music Critics Association. Skipping ahead two films, we come to Shorter's soundtrack for the 2012 film Contraband, an action-crime-drama film starring Mark Wahlberg, Giovanni Ribisi, and Kate Beckinsale. Wahlberg plays a former smuggler who heads to Panama to protect his brother-in-law from a drug lord by scoring millions of dollars in counterfeit bills. The film soundtrack features 18 tracks, of which 13 are by Shorter, and five tracks are from various bands. I have chosen to play track number 12, titled Keys, to provide a sense of how Clint uses lots of percussion in the action scenes. This track may even remind you of Mike Post's percussive music in Hill Street Blues. Films later in 2013, Clint provided a score to the film Two Guns, 
an American buddy cop action comedy film directed by Baltasar Kormakur and starring Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. Robert Bobby Trench and Michael Stig Stigman are questioned by the U.S. Border Patrol after meeting with drug lord Manny Poppy Greco in Mexico. Unknown to Stigman, Bobby is actually an undercover DEA agent, Trench, who reports to his superior Jessup that he didn't get the cocaine from Poppy they needed to convict him. Against orders, Bobby remains undercover to assist Stigman in robbing $3 million in a bank vault in Trace Cruces, Texas, to prosecute Poppy for money laundering. I have chosen to play for you the title track named Two Guns to illustrate a totally different sound from Shorter. It features a strong lead guitar on top of drums with a fast beat. In 2014, Shorter wrote the score for the film Pompeii. Now, with only a limited 139 tracks in my music collection for Clint Shorter, I have to say I found his music for Pompeii to be my favorite. Of 16 tracks for Pompeii, I rated 14 of them as either 4 or 5 stars out of 5 stars. The film is a romantic historical disaster film produced and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson inspired by and based on the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD that destroyed Pompeii, a city of the Roman Empire. The film stars Kit Harrington, Emily Browning, Carrie-Anne Moss, Jessica Lucas, and Kiefer Sutherland. Ratings for the film were all over the place, with one critic saying, This big-budget sword-and-sandal adventure lacks the energy and storytelling heft to amount to more than a guilty pleasure while another stated, The Pompeii story has never been schlock. It ain't the Bible, and it ain't Homer. Pompeii 3D wants merely to entertain, and it does proudly. Well, that is to say, the reviewers really liked the special effects more than the plot. Kiefer Sutherland was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award as Worst Supporting Actor, but didn't win. Clinton's score for Pompeii has been described as richly impassioned and harmonically beautiful. In a Musique Fantastique interview, Clint notes, The first day I met Paul, he said he hated themes in films. He thought they patronized the audience, so he never wanted them in his film, 
But for this film, it needed themes. It was quite funny. I spent the next month writing themes on the piano, which was really refreshing and rewarding. Ultimately, he decided to cut back on the amount of themes, but it was a great experience. With so many enjoyable tracks to choose from, I've decided to showcase track number 16 titled Praying for Help, which starts out slow, builds crescendo, adds male and female voices, all rising to a climax that is the end of the film. With that background, let's switch over to Clint's music for The Expanse, which was first showcased on the Sci-Fi Channel in 2015. During the period Clint was composing music for The Expanse, he was also composing for other TV series including House of Lies on Showtime, Code Black on CBS, and Colony on the USA Network. After three seasons and 36 episodes on the Sci-Fi Channel, the Expanse series was picked up and continued for another three seasons and 26 episodes on Amazon Prime Video. After the show was canceled by the Sci-Fi Channel, fans protested the cancellation. Gathering over 100,000 signatures was an online petition. They lobbied Amazon Studios and Netflix to greenlight the fourth season. And a crowdfunding campaign paid for an airplane to fly a hashtag Save the Expanse banner around Amazon Studios. 
Celebrities supporting the campaign included Will Wheaton, George R.R. R. Martin, Patton Oswalt, and Andreas Mogensen. Thanks to Amazon, all six seasons of The Expanse can be viewed at Amazon Prime Video. The Expanse is based on the novel series of the same name by James S.A. Corey, a pen name for the authors Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, who also serve as writers and producers of the show. The series has been described as a space opera by critics. Emily Vanderwerf of the Vox Media website describes the first season of the series to be a blend of science fiction and noir-infused detective drama with a backdrop of political intrigue. Here is the setting. Hundreds of years in the future, the solar system has been colonized by humanity. The three largest powers are the United Nations of Earth and Luna, the Martian Congressional Republic on Mars, and the Outer Planets Alliance, or OPA, a loose confederation of the asteroid belt and the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. Earth is powerful, but it's old and slow, its environment strained by overpopulation. Mars is a new rival superpower with advanced technology, unified by the dream of terraforming Mars. The asteroid belt and the outer planets are mined for resources. The people of the belt have their own culture and language and bodies adapted to space, but the belters are oppressed and exploited by Earth and Mars. So activists and extremists, like the OPA, fight for freedom for the belt. In Season 1, Christian Avasarala, a United Nations executive, works to prevent war between Earth and Mars. Series police detective Joe Miller is sent to find a missing young woman, Julie Mao. Julie's father, a powerful businessman called Jules Pierre Mao, experiments with an unknown virus to make it a weapon. The space freighter Canterbury and the Martian Navy flagship Doniger are destroyed by unknown stealth ships. Jules Pierre blew up the Canterbury to deliberately cause war and to study the protomolecule he infects 100,000 people on the moon of Eros. James Holden, Naomi Nagata, Alex Kamal, and Amos Burton survive both attacks and escape in a Martian gunship named the Tachi. They subsequently renamed the ship Rocinante, which becomes the main setting of the series. The crew of the Rocinante, or Rossi for short, with Detective Miller's help, investigate and eventually discovers the biohazard that kills off most of the humans on the asteroid Eros, including Julie Mao. So in the face of war and aliens, the Rossi crew come together as an unlikely family, and they learn from each other. Holden starts out as a dangerously impulsive, naive hero, but Naomi helps him to make smarter decisions, and eventually they fall in love. Miller challenges Holden's moral idealism and teaches him to be more ruthless to get stuff done. And Amos comes to trust Holden as a leader alongside Naomi. Season 1's rating was 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, only getting better with succeeding seasons, rising to 95% for Season 2, 100% for Seasons 3, 4, and 5, and currently 92% for Season 6. I am sure that most of those listening to this podcast recognize the source of the ship's name, Rocinante. I am guessing that most of you recall that Rocinante is the name of Don Quixote's horse in the two-part 1605-1615 novel Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes. And now, the Rocinante is the steed that takes the crew to many locations within the solar system. Funny enough, in Portuguese, Rocinante means a weak and useless nag or horse. Of interest is that composer Shorter notes, 
Aside from the vocalist for the main titles, it's me playing it all. It's most definitely a contrast, and it forces you to write a certain way so as not to expose the fact there aren't live string players, but it's still incredibly rewarding. The soundtracks for seasons 1 through 4 can be purchased at iTunes and at Amazon Prime, and likely elsewhere. I opened this podcast playing the title track to season 1 titled The Expanse. You may have noted the four-note cue that Clint has identified with the Siri, which sounds like this. From season one, I have also chosen to play for you track number eight, titled Remember the Cant, which is short for the Canterbury, the destroyed space freighter. I like the mixture of synth, slow and fast sections, obvious warfare representation, and then the introspective ending.
In season two, the crew of the Rosinante, along with members of the OPA, attacked the station responsible for the biohazard on Eros. Learning that it was an extrasolar bioweapon known as the protomolecule, they attempt to destroy Eros. Joe Miller becomes trapped on Eros and dies when it crashes into Venus. Martian Marine Roberta Bobby Draper fights an inhuman figure on Ganymede, and later, during peace talks between Earth and Mars, becomes a protege for Avasarala. The crew tries to help a father, Prax, find his daughter. In the process, they encounter and kill a figure akin to the one Draper fought, now known as a protomolecule hybrid, developed by Julie's father, Jules Pierre Mao. A research ship, sent to Venus to investigate the crash of the Eros into the planet, is stopped dead in the atmosphere and completely disassembled by the protomolecule. In my opinion, the soundtrack for Season 2 is much more pleasing than the soundtrack for Season 1. To me, much of Season 1 included tracks with lots of protracted synth notes, without much in the way of melody, perhaps to represent the vastness and sameness of most of space. However, in Season 2, the action seems to ramp up, and the music does as well. One thing Clint noted in a Sci-Fi Bulletin interview, when asked if he prefers composing for film or a TV series, he responded, I love both. Film gives me the time to establish a palette and to write the score. But TV allows me to experiment over time in a way that film just can't. Now here is track number 8 titled Blue Falcon, which I have chosen for it having a discernible melody line in addition to Clint's long drawn out notes.
In Season 3, the UN declares war, while Earth and Mars send science vessels to investigate what is happening on Venus. Political tensions soar as the OPA is now recognized as the government of the Belters, and Prax gets reunited with his daughter. The protomolecule that crashed into Venus rises back up from the clouds and forms the ring, a structure like a stargate which takes an orbital position beyond Uranus, and the race begins between all three governments to send their ships through. After a Belter racing ship slingshots through the ring at high speed, the ring believes the high-speed humans and objects to be dangerous and activates defenses that threaten humanity. Through Holden, a projection of Miller tries to shut off the defenses of the ring and convince the protomolecule that humanity is not a threat. The builders didn't make the protomolecule to be a weapon. It's a tool that builds bridges to new worlds. For season three, I've chosen track number 19 titled, I Need a Ride, for its use of the Expanse cue and the overall continued representation of the music style Clint has crafted for the series.
In Season 4, a large rush to other solar systems with habitable worlds begins and thousands of planets accessible now via the ring. Refugee ships from the belt and overcrowded Earth are stopped at the gateway. A ship runs the blockade, and the crew of the Rosinante are sent through the portal to investigate the situation on the exoplanet that has been settled by these belter refugees, called Illus. The settlers have been joined by an officially backed scientific expedition with private military support, often leading to violence between the two groups. The Rossi's crew tries to ease the tension, but fails, and decide to find out what is happening on the planet and where the previous civilization has gone. With the help of Miller, Holden reactivates an ancient structure, setting off a chain of cataclysmic events. One of the aspects of The Expanse that I've really liked is the way belters and members of the OPA speak. Here, Klaus Ashford, a belter pirate-turned-executive officer of the OPAS behemoth, played perfectly by actor David Straithorn, looked for a spaceship that passed by an abandoned mining asteroid. I suppose this could have been Marco Space. This net is not old. It would have drifted away long ago. Someone was working here recently. Cluster was mined out over 60 years ago. These rock just iron nickel. Worth nothing, Nada. Uh, so much for your big tip. Show me flight pass for all ships in this vicinity in past three months. Wait. Yes, this ship, this one turned transponder off approaching cluster and back on leaving. Oh, what were you doing here? Find this ship, put us on course for intercept. Yes, Bosman. Don't you just love the way they talk? For season four, I've chosen to play track number six titled to Illus for its use of the four-note cue, for its deep bass and melody. And it sounds really good.
Unfortunately, as I prepare this podcast, the soundtrack for Season 5 has not been released yet, although it's been rumored to be ready for release. And of course, Season 6 is still being released episode by episode. However, I can provide a summary of the action for Season 5 and part of Season 6. In Season 5, a deadly conspiracy threatens Earth as the crew of the Rocinante pursue personal missions while their ship is in dry dock at Tycho Station. Draper and Avasarala investigate the Martian military's tie to a growing threat from a rogue faction of Belters. Marco Inaros, an extremist, amasses a Belter space fleet and attacks Earth through stealth-shielded asteroids, killing millions. While Naomi, Alex, and Amos have their own adventures, Holden faces his greatest challenge yet, spending some time alone without his family. But then Marco's belters kill Fred Johnson and steal a protomolecule sample. So Holden and Bull and Monica try to destroy it to prevent the dangerous alien tech from falling into the wrong hands, but they fail. Marco's free navy takes control of the ring, including the all-important central hub of the ring gates. And Marco lets a rogue faction of Martians through to a new world called Laconia. These Martians, led by someone called Admiral Duarte, are the ones who gave Martian ships to Marco, and in return, Marco gave them Fred Johnson's protomolecule sample. Duarte is working with a scientist, Cordazar, to unlock the power of the protomolecule, and to use these mysterious alien structures orbiting Laconia to build humanity's greatest empire. In Season 6, Holden and the crew of the Rocinante fight alongside the combined fleet of Earth and Mars to protect the inner planets from Marco Anaros and his Free Navy's campaign of death and destruction. Meanwhile, on a distant planet beyond the ring, a new power arises. I could tell you more, but that would entail revealing spoilers for those of you who had not yet dived into Season 6. Perhaps a future Treks and Sci-Fi podcast can provide a much more detailed podcast in each of the seasons of The Expanse. Any takers? Back to Clint Shorter. In a Sci-Fi Pulse interview, he was asked what would be the best advice he could offer up-and-coming musicians. His answer was, work hard at your craft and stick with it. Hope for a break. Not all musicians get them. But if you are lucky enough to get one, you need to be ready for it. I got my break with District 9, which was like being struck by lightning. All I've been doing since then is trying not to blow the opportunity. Well, that wraps up this music and sci-fi podcast on composer Clinton Shorter and his music of The Expanse. Next week, Rico will be back with yet another fantastic episode of Treks and Sci-Fi. Be sure to tune in. I will end this podcast with one more track from The Expanse, titled When I Sail, track number 23 from season 4. Oh, and once again... Happy New Year's to all you Treks and Sci-Fi fanboys and fangirls. <laughs>